some of you know that I was in England over the, uh, the Easter break a couple of weeks. I went to a couple of weddings, and one of the weddings was up in the north of England. Uh, it's quite cold there, so the average temperature was down at about five degrees. And they were saying, oh, it's going to be really sunny tomorrow. It's, the sun's going to be out. It's going to be really warm. It's going to be 15 degrees. We're going to be out in our T-shirts and shorts. 15 degrees. You don't get that here. So, um, so I took a taxi to the wedding, and this big, tough-looking northern bloke, the, the, the blokes in, in, nor, uh, in, in the north of England are, are quite are known for their toughness. Uh, this tough-looking northern bloke came to pick me up in this taxi and my friends. But as soon as he saw their eight-month-old baby, he softened, he smiled, and he got really chatty. And he was telling us about uh, how his son, when he was that age, just wouldn't sleep. Some of you have been there, I know, sleepless nights. And he was telling us how they would try everything to try and get his son to sleep. And they became quite irrational and quite superstitious about it. They make sure that they've got the right blanket. Was this the right blanket as yesterday when he went to sleep? Do they have the soft toys just in the right, you know, right location? Do they have the temperatures right, the lights right? Everything has to be right. And he, had, he got really superstitious about this. The, the point is, he knew he was being superstitious. He knew he was being irrational. Most people who are superstitious probably aren't quite as aware. And we've seen it, I'm sure, in sportsmen, in teachers, lawyers, doctors as well. These people who are supposed to be rational, intelligent people, are actually quite superstitious. You know, some of the sportsmen I, I know will wear the same shirt and not wash it until, you know, until they, they uh, well, while they're still winning which in rugby is a good thing because people don't want to tackle you if you're, you haven't washed your shirt. But don't you see that it's, it's an irrational thing that if you think about it intelligently, it doesn't make sense. The, the question is, do we do that as Christians as well? And I think that we do. Um, but we don't realize it. And it's in this... Um, bargaining with God in this trying to do, do good in response, you know, to, to get a response out of God that, uh, that we see this superstition. But let me come back to that, and, and we're going to have a look at, at this, this passage and see how this talks to us about this. So the first thing we notice about this passage is Paul's healing. Does it sound familiar? Well, it really should, because Luke describes a very similar healing by Peter in Acts chapter 3. And when I preached about Peter's uh, um, healings in Acts chapter 9, where he does some more healings, I said that these were signs that God was working through Peter and now through Paul. And that God is, ha- uh, uh, that the, the baton from Jesus is being passed over to Peter and now to Paul. You see, Peter said, yeah, said, sorry, Paul, just as he's about to uh, heal, he says it in a loud voice. He, he says, have a look down. I flicked over too many chapters. Uh, he says, said Peter, so verse 10, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. So he's saying it in a loud voice. 
so that the people of Lystra can hear. It's not for his sake or, or the person who he's healing's sake that he says it in a loud voice. Now, it's no surprise that he, these are called signs and wonders. These are signs that Paul's ministry is being blessed by God. Okay? Let me clarify that point. Um, these are signs that God is saying, this ministry is blessed my, by me. What, we, what I'm not saying is that every time the gospel goes out, we should expect miracles. What one, I'm not saying is that if there aren't miracles, then it's not blessed by God. But we can see here that anyone who's doubting that Paul is continuing the ministry of Peter and of Jesus, they can have a look at this, and God is saying, look at this person, he's continuing my work. I like to uh, talk to my sixth form, the difference between evidence and proof. Um, and hopefully this won't lose you, but uh, when I, talk, I teach maths, and when I teach about equations, if I've got a good equation, it may be right once or twice or a thousand times. That doesn't mean it's right. You can't prove it by just giving examples that it's right. You can prove that it's wrong by giving an example that it's wrong, but you can't prove that it's right by just giving good examples. It has to be proved in a much more rigorous way. Now, these signs and wonders are evidence that God is at work here, that God has blessed this work, but it's not proof. The proof, as we're told elsewhere, is in the message. Jesus preach this message of forgiveness and salvation. And that has continued with Peter and continues now with Paul. Paul preaches this message of forgiveness and salvation. And that is the proof that God is at work here. Now, um, I want you to think about the last time that you were upset. Was it at your work? Was it something a friend said to you? Interesting how a, an, an innocent thing a friend says to you uh, can be more devastating than a complete stranger. Was it someone eating McDonald's by the side of the road? <laughs> Was it your family? And sometimes um, it, it's right to be upset about our family, you know, being upset. Some of you know that the last couple of months, actually, I've, I've been having passport issues. And while I, was, I haven't uh, kind of, I haven't cried about it, or and I haven't kind of uh, really sounded upset, it has really affected me, and I, I, I became really uh, stressed, and I got a little bit distracted from work, and I had a few sleepless nights. I didn't get any panic attacks, but but I have to admit that it did upset me. I was praying about it a lot, and I was wondering what uh, God was doing about it. But when I was in Kuala Lumpur, finally uh, getting my uh, emergency passport, uh, some of you know that the Brussels bombs happened, uh, bombings happened. And that kind of put things in perspective. My life wasn't in danger. Yeah, this wasn't going to cause me to not be able to witness to God, um, not having my passport. And so all of a sudden I realized that I was stressing about nothing at all, and that really, as a Christian, I wasn't trusting in God, that I wasn't at peace with the fact that God was a loving God, and that he provided everything for me, and he has provided 
everything for me. Now, as useful as it is to share my learning experiences, how does this relate to the passage? Well, let's have a look at the passage again. Um, where I want to ask the question, where does Paul and Barnabas get upset in this passage? I'll give you, give you a, a couple of uh, a seconds to have a look down. Have a look through the passage and think about where Paul and Barnabas get upset. Is it where you expect it to be? I think it would help if I, I summarized it as if it was me. Well, we went to this town called Lystra. Um, we healed a man who was crippled from birth. And the people of Lystra thought that we were Zeus and Hermes. They started to worship us and wanted to sacrifice animals to us. When we told them not to they, uh, and to worship God instead, they threw stones at us and dragged us out of the city. They thought we were dead, and the next day we went on to Derby. Where would you get upset in the whole of that story? Well, it's got to be the, the stoning and, and, and the dragging out of the city, hasn't it? I, I, would, I would get pretty upset about that. That's your life there. Someone leave, leaves you to, for dead. What does Paul say? He is very, very clear on this. It just seems very blank. It says, Paul got up. And the next day, he and Barnabas went to Derby. There's nothing there at all. But elsewhere, it says very clearly that he was upset. Nowadays, if, if, if I decided to rip my shirt open, I think people would kind of think I was trying to show off. I, I, really, I, don't have any, I don't have anything to show off. But in the Jewish times, ripping your garments, that is the ultimate sign of yeah, being upset. When does Paul and uh, Barnabas? When do Paul and Barnabas rip their shirts? Well, it's when people try and sacrifice animals to them. And why do they get upset? Well, let's think about it. It's because they want to honour, they want to worship Paul and Barnabas. Would that upset you? People come and they say, "We want to make you a king. We want to make you a god." Would that make you upset? It makes Paul and Barnabas upset because it takes away from the honor of God. Do we get upset when that happens? When honor is going to other things rather than God? I think I experienced that for the first time quite a long time ago. Um, probably when I was at this concert um, and Eric Clapton was coming up on stage. And I, he's, he's a bit of a... Uh, yeah, he's, he, I, love, I love Eric Clapton, but the guy in front of me was shouting, Eric Clapton is a god, and I, that just really unsettled me. When I was in London, I uh, met up with a friend, and he was very upset. He didn't tell me what had upset him, but he said he'd fallen out with the leaders of the camp that he'd been working on. I asked him again what had been upsetting him, and he said he wouldn't tell me. But what he did turn around and he said, do you know that I've been going to and serving on this camp for 20 years? Now, normally you can understand he's been upset. He has been betrayed, perhaps. 
uh, lied to or something has, you know, he's fallen out with these leaders of the camp that he's been working on and going to, children's camp that he's been working, going on to for, for 20 years. But having, a, having had a look at this passage, I had to think about this and think, remind him, and he is a faithful Christian, and, and he, you know, I, I led him through, and, and he was nodding as if I was being patronizing, but then he suddenly twigged. Let me remind you of another person who came to people that were his own. He was betrayed by them. They didn't recognize him. They didn't acknowledge him. And what did they do? They crucified him. Was this, my, was this friend's suffering anything compared to Jesus? No. Did Jesus get upset about that? No, he went meekly and humbly to the cross. Why did he do it? To honor God. For God's glory. So I had to remind him that this, what should have upset him, was if God wasn't being served. Not that these people who he thought deserve, he, deserved, um, he deserved something from uh, had betrayed him or had not acknowledged him properly. This is not what should upset us. It's when God's honor is not, uh, is not given that we should be upset. And so many times we do the same. So I want you to think about that next time that you get upset. And I want you to remind me next time I get upset. Why is it you're upset? Hasn't God already given you so much? Do you have a right to be upset? What should be upsetting is that God's honor is not being upheld. A a guy I know who's a pastor in London, um, someone else told me this, another pastor told me that he got really upset when a group of pastors met up from the local council. The local council of pastors got upset. And uh, the, the local bishop had said, Uh, should we tone down what we're saying about the crucifixion of God? Should we? And immediately, this pastor who I know stood up and said, how dare you, how dare you dishonor the death and resurrection of God? And he stormed out. Do we have that much courage? Do we get that upset when God's Honor is is besmirched, is is not is taken for granted, when God is not uh, glorified. Right, um, I'm gonna on to my last point, and I'll make this one a fairly quick one. Um, One more thing in the passage. So this is my last point in the passage. Does it seem odd to you how quick the priest of uh, Zeus? was to, to, to bring out the animals to sacrifice. As soon as we see Barnabas and uh, Paul go in and preach and do, our, do a, uh, a miracle, we see the, the, the uh, priest of Zeus immediately come out with this animal. Well, what we're not told in this passage, what we know from elsewhere, is that the Roman, uh, there was a Roman poet named Ovid, and he had written a story about how Zeus and Hermes had come down to earth in that local region and he, they had visited 1,000 uh, houses 
and every 1,000 of those houses had turned them away, had denied them hospitality. Instead, they were taken in by this old couple who couldn't afford it. In retribution, Zeus and Hermes had flooded the value and killed everyone except uh, the old couple, who, who they honored with riches. And so it's not surprising that the people of Lystra, with this story in their minds, thought, the gods have come. We've got, to, we've got to honor them. We've got to sacrifice to them. But as I said before, Paul and Barnabas, they get upset and they say, we are also of men. We, are, we also are men of nature like, uh, sorry, of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Paul speaks out against their idolatry. He says that it's vanity. And he speaks of a God, a good God, a God who's provided them with food and, and gladness. And it's a God of love. It's when we remove that God of love and we see it in today's society as, uh, as the Western society, some of you are from America and, and the UK, where the, yeah, God has been honored before, but where we remove that God of love that we see idolatry rising. We see it in the East. It's superstition that replaces it. And we see it in, among these Greeks so the Greeks and the Romans had a pantheon of God, a whole host of God, gods. If you wanted to have a good childbirth, then you sacrificed a Hera, the god of childbirth. If you wanted a good harvest, you gave something up to Demeter or Apollo. So Demeter was the god of agriculture. Apollo was the god of the sun. If you wanted uh, you to be lucky in love, then you, you sacrificed to Aphrodite, the god of love. And it's a very fickle thing. Oh, I sacrificed to Demeter, but I still got bad harvest. Oh, you obviously didn't sacrifice enough. So it becomes more. Okay? You, you're, you're still not married. Well, you've got to give all of your wealth, not just a little bit of it. Give more of your wealth to Aphrodite. And it becomes very superstitious. Can you see that it, this is just superstition? It's irrational. And it becomes something very fickle. When we fall foul to these superstitions, it is our need, it's man's need to control what the, what the future holds. It's what we, what we need to somehow... Yeah, we need to somehow control what's, what the future is bringing. And we think that somehow bargaining, we can get there. But it's very different when we have a God of love who, have, who has already provided every good thing for us and who loves us and wants every good thing for us. Now, we see it 
in children. And as a teacher, I see it a lot, coming across a lot of children. The child psychologists are right when they say that children who habitually misbehave, most of them are looking for their parents' attention. So those children who habitually misbehave, they, that the only way they can get their parents' attention is by misbehaving. And then maybe their teachers will call in the parents, and the parents will actually sit up and take notice. Or the parents are busy doing something else, but if they throw a tantrum, oh, the parents come over and they pay attention to them. It's not just the misbehaving as well. It's the class clown, the one who acts up, who tries to be funny. Maybe that's the only way that they could get their parents' attention. Or even the one who gets straight A's. The only way they can get their parents' approval is by performing well academically. That is what happens when we remove the constant and sure love from our children. They need our attention. They want our attention. Those children who have and know their parents' love, they go out confidently. Yes, they all misbehave. That's, that's children. Some of them will work hard. Some of them will be a bit lazy. Some of them will like to act the class clown. But it's not for a yearning to get their parents' attention. And you see it in the ones that do yearn to get attention. They, the, the students who wait after my class to say, have I got this right? I really need to know whether I've got this right. You know, the ones who can't sit still, even if everyone else is working well, I see one or two who are sitting still saying, mm, what funny thing can I say to make everyone laugh at me? And I can see a desperate need. And it's because of this removal of the surety of their parents' love and it's with us. When we try and bargain with God, when we say, God, I'll, I'll be really good if you just let my passport come. Um, I'll, uh, you know, I'll stop doing this thing or I'll try and do this thing. I'll run a bit more. No. Um, um, just bargaining with God. We, we do it or we all do it, don't we? It's because we don't trust in God's love. God is the one who has assured, of us, assured us of his love. He has died for us. He has already given us that forgiveness and that salvation. As soon as we remove that, superstition starts to come in. I'm not telling you this uh, to make you feel guilty as parents or doubting your own faith, but I want you to from this passage, to learn the kind of love that God has given us and the kind of faith that we should have in it. I'm as guilty as anyone as try, you know, trying to bargain with God. There's a famous story about this conference of, uh, for, of religious leaders from around the world, pastors, actually, from around the world, and they were trying to decide who, uh, what difference there was about Christianity and the famous author and Christian writer, C.S. Lewis, wandered into the room. I don't know whether he's part of the conference or not. I don't think he was. He wandered into the room and said, what's, what's all this thing about? And they, they told him, and he said, oh, that's easy. He said very simplistically, he said, that's easy. It's grace. Grace, that is the assurance 
of forgiveness. That is the free gift of salvation that we have. With it, we no longer need to perform. We no longer need to to try to get into heaven. We have assurance of heaven. You see from other people, uh, from other religions, they work so hard and yet they're not sure that they're going to heaven. They don't know that love. We do our good good, good deeds. We live our good lives as witnesses and in response to that love. And so I want to say this to you to remind you of what this, this love is, the faith that we should have, and we should pity those who don't know it. Just as we should pity the, the children who are desperately in, yearning for, for, for love, those who need to, to misbehave, or those who need to be the class clown, or those who need to, to get the straight A's, they don't have that assurance. The same with those people who don't know God's love. Can you imagine living a life without the certainty that you're going to heaven? Without that peace that we have as Christians. And so can I encourage you to demonstrate it? Because we're God's witnesses. Let me pray. Father, thank you for sending Paul and showing that he is your servant. Lord, help us to be upset like he was. Let us value your honor and your glory so much that we get upset when somebody else takes that. And let us rest assured in your love. Be at peace that you love us regardless of how bad we've been. And let us strive to be good and to honor you as a response to that, Lord. Not because we deserve it, not because it's going to gain us our salvation, because we know your love and we can love others. Lord, help us to be lights shining in the world for you. Work through us as witnesses for you and for your love. We know love because you first loved us. And help us to demonstrate that love, loving the unlovable. For your glory's sake, in Jesus' name, amen.